0: The fact is, when it comes to social media and personal work, you need to share the kind of work that you want to get.
1: Hello, and thank you for listening. This is the Benchmark Podcast, where each week we create breakthroughs in the creative lives and businesses of our guests who are artists, creatives, and small business owners. This week, my guest is Haley Berry, a hand-lettering artist and freelancer based in Provo, Utah, someone I've had the privilege of collaborating with and am very excited to have on today's show. In today's episode, we talk about using personal projects to grow your business, putting your values into your work, and I attempt to get Haley a breakthrough on what she can focus on in the sales process of her business. This is typically where you'd hear a sponsor message, but since this is a podcast to help promote the Benchmark app, I'll just tell you to go check out the free training we have for you at our website, benchmark.app, where you can learn more about this tool we've built to help people like you get control over the results of your business. All right, welcome everybody. We're here with episode five of the Benchmark Podcast, and we've got my friend Haley Berry with Type Affiliated here with us. So excited. Um, Let me do a quick introduction for you. Well, now let's have you introduce yourself. Haley, how do you describe yourself (laughs) and the work that you do?
0: Dang, I was kind of excited to see what you were going to say. I'm always (laughs) interested to see how people. Introduce me. But uh, like you said, my name is Haley Berry. Um, I'm a lettering artist and illustrator from Provo, Utah. I run my own freelance business called Type Affiliated, where I primarily do client work for all kinds of different uh, clients all over the United States. Everything from branding projects to custom murals, but they're all usually hand lettering based in some way. But yeah, that's that's me. That's what I do.
1: It's awesome, and for those who have been following along with either Haley or my journey this year and the crazy 2020, we actually worked together. We produced a course for Haley back in May, and it's been the most successful course on the the site, Craftsman Creative, which is amazing, and it's attributable to Haley and your audience, who is amazing. I mean, I watched them dive in and get into the course and completion rates crazy so you've got an amazing audience so i'm excited to be able to talk to you and hopefully your audience will eat this up as well so can you tell us about a creative project that you're working on right now something that you're what you'd like to promote or something that's kind of the the main focus right now what are you working on
0: well it's interesting because again um most of what i do is client work so a lot (laughs) of the projects that i'm working on are things directly for other people. So uh, I mean, like a couple things along that line that I'm working on right now that I'm pretty excited about. I've just started working with Laurel Mercantile, which they are, if you've ever seen HGTV show hometown, it's, you know, these people in Mississippi, they go and fix up houses and stuff. They're the ones who hired me. So oh, I'm wow. working with them on a lot of different projects right now, which has been super cool. And they're all pretty big, large scale things like murals and billboards that they will then be, you know, putting into these episodes as part of the remodels and things for the business. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, I'm working with a local company right now called Imagine Learning, doing some cool video and animation stuff for their business and, you know, all kinds of different things. As far as my own personal projects go that aren't client work, um, just like you said earlier, the online class has been a big one this year, working on getting that to the point where it's just running like a well-oiled machine mm-hmm. and to the point where you know like okay i'm pretty confident i can send people to this and know like it's perfect like everything there is perfect the information is perfect um the way that everything runs is perfect and that has been a lot of fun so now it's just promoting that and keeping people coming
1: yep now it's figuring out marketing and the traffic and we're both mm-hmm. I think we're both working on that <laughs> and yeah, using your learning. course as kind of the, uh, the model. <laughs> um, well, very cool. I'd love to maybe touch quickly on one of the creative projects that I've been following along with um, this Provo people project. Um, yes. Because to me, it just embodies the idea. There's so many people that I talk to that are creatives that go, how do I do the thing that I want to do? how do I start recording bands? And how do I start producing or directing films? Or how do I start writing something, a screenplay or whatever it may be? And my answer to a lot of those questions is, well, you just do it. Like We're Mm -hmm. in a field where you don't really have to have permission to do creative work, especially now with 2020 and a lot of the gatekeepers or a lot of the hurdles are removed because people are working remotely, everything's shifted online. And it's such an open space to be able to do creative work, put it online and find an audience. And then you can sell something to that audience. So I don't know if you had that whole big picture in mind when you started the Provo people project, but I'd love for you to tell me about the project, but also like how Did that come about? Because that was really your brainchild, right?
0: Yeah. So, People Provo or Provo People Project, we kind of call it both, (laughs) um, is like something that is so near and dear to my heart. So, I guess to kind of explain how it even came to be, we have to go way back to when I was like 15, actually, (laughs) because when I was 15 years old, I got a job working at this local antique store. downtown Provo. And while I was working there and spending more and more time downtown, I met so many cool people. Like, you know, I was right next door to Corey Fox and I would talk to him all the time and I would meet all these local business owners and the mayor and all these different people through that job, kind of. That's sort of how I started meeting these people that were involved in just so many amazing things. And I think we're really blessed here in Provo. Uh, We have a really wonderful community and a wonderful kind of arts and music scene and, you know, an outdoor scene and many things that were going on. And I just thought it was amazing, but it was so crazy to me how many people I would talk to who were like, oh, I hate Provo, i want to get out of Provo, blah, blah, blah. I was like, you don't understand, like this place is amazing. There is so much going on, but a lot of people didn't even know about it. And, but what was more important is they didn't know who was making things great. Um, in the last 10 years, especially under Mayor Curtis, Provo went through a really big change, especially downtown. Like mm-hmm. a lot of stuff got updated. There was a lot going on and it was awesome. But a lot of people just were like, oh, downtown is great now. But they didn't really know why, like who was making it happen and why are these things happening? And so in my mind for years and years and years, I was like, oh, I would just love to do something that could kind of like feature these people and say like, hey, these are the people that are making this cool stuff happen. And this is how great Provo is. And uh, anyway, so it was something that I thought about for years. And then if we fast forward, when I was in college, I decided to switch from a BFA to a BA because I graduate faster and I already had a huge portfolio of work. And I was like, Mm -hmm. man, I don't need to be in school for two more years just to get a BFA project. Like I'm pretty good at doing work on my own anyway, which is the whole point of a BFA, like to have a cohesive portfolio, which I already had. And so I thought, well, I'd still really like to do some kind of a series, though, even just like to prove to myself I can do it, you know, Mm -hmm. because that's just kind of how I am. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I just want to do something about Provo and the people. And I was thinking about it, but I could never really figure out exactly what to do. Like, I know I wanted to have lettering and I wanted it to have the people, but I didn't really know how. And then I was in Palm Springs, actually, Palm Springs, California, for a conference. And while I was there, I met Justin Hackworth, who he is a guy I knew about for a long time. I had seen his work. He's also from Provo. It's kind of funny. We were both in Provo, but we actually met in person in Palm Springs. <laughs> um, and I love his work. I'm like, I, yeah. And so when I was actually talking to him, he took my picture down in Palm Springs. And after he took my picture, I was like, holy crap. That was the most amazing experience ever. Because every other time I had had someone take my picture, they were like, okay, like, stand. And you know, like kind of tilt your head and do this and this. And Justin didn't do that at all. He was just asking questions. And we talked and we talked for like 10 minutes. And the whole time we were talking, he was taking pictures. And I was like, Oh, these are gonna look terrible, because I'm just talking in all of them. And they were probably some of the best pictures I'd ever seen of myself. And it looked like me. And so I thought, Oh, my gosh, this guy is who I need for people in Provo. And I was kind of nervous. But again, Justin's been doing photography for Years and years and years. He's traveled all over the world. Like, he's super experienced. But I sent him an email and I just said, Justin, I have this idea for this project. And I like you are the person who I need to work on it with. Like, you are the only person who could do this with me. And my whole idea for the project was to pick 10 people who were just doing amazing stuff for Provo and then to bring them in to Justin's studio, have him photograph them. And then I would interview them, learn all about them, and create a piece of lettering artwork that had the photo and then all this information about them um, in a lettering style that matched who they were and their personality. And it was going to be a 10 week project. And so it was amazing uh, meeting the people and really talking to them and getting the chance to feature these people who some of them were people that I knew and that I loved so much, but some of them were people I had never talked to in person before. And just hearing their stories and getting to know more about them and then creating the series It was amazing, and it was great too. Like how well received it was, because with a personal project, you have to do it um, for yourself. First off, you can't just say like, "Okay, if no one likes this, I'm going to stop." Like you have to stick with it. Yeah. But it was a great thing seeing that people loved it just as much as we did. I think in the very first like few weeks that we were doing it, we had about 800 followers on Instagram. Which 800 in the whole scheme of like the world is not a lot. But the fact is, when we look at the stats, all pretty much all eight hundred were from Provo, and so seeing that there were like eight hundred people in our community that now knew about these awesome people in our community and were involved in this project was really huge. Um, but just like you were saying before, th- there was there was a lot of long term goals with this. So so like I said, I was thinking about this for years. And it was something that I was like, okay, if I did this, yes, like I can count it as like a series of work, which is something I want to do. But I was like, but also this is going to be like the coolest portfolio piece. Mm -hmm. And again, a great example of work that I want to be making. Um, And since it is a series, it'll show like, hey, I can create a cohesive body of work. I can, you know, do all this stuff and hopefully, you know, attract clients to do that. Because the fact is when it comes to social media and personal work, you need to share the kind of work that you want to get. I talk to people all the time who, well, like for instance, I had a friend who's like, gosh, I don't know why I'm only getting wedding photography sessions. I hate shooting weddings, but it's all I ever get asked to do. And I was like, well, all you post on your Instagram is wedding photography. Like people think that wedding photography is what you do. And because that's all you share, they assume you like it. And she's like, no, I hate that. I'd rather do you know some other stuff and it's like well then don't share your wedding photography right and to me it just seems so obvious but i think a lot of people don't think about that and so when you're sharing work online you should be sharing the kind of work that you want to do um that's not all though i do think that's important to mention a lot of people just think like oh if i just post um a bunch of examples of stuff i want to do i'll just magically get work and it's like no that's not going to happen like you have to be able to do a lot of legwork also to reach out to clients and to build, you know, your, your. I don't even know what I'm trying to say, to build like your client list, you know, and and that's not always just going to happen through Instagram. A lot of times they're not going to know you exist. You have to be willing to get out there and and find them and Mm -hmm. do all of that. But that being the case, once you've reached out to these people, they're going to be way more willing to hire you. um, If you have this beautiful body of work that fits with their brand and their, Thing that they're wanting for their business you know and so uh it was great but this particular project led to tons of tons of work for me um tons of my clients that hire me you know usually ones that i've never heard of before ones i didn't reach out to will say like oh my gosh i i saw your people of provo and i loved it i've even had people before tell me about the project and not knowing I'm the one that made it. Like, <laughs> I'll meet people sometimes, and they'll be like, oh, you're a lettering artist, have you seen this? And they'll show me and I'm like, yeah, I'm the one who drew all that, you know? And, and so it's just cool to see that people love it, but it led to my biggest client ever. Um, after doing the project, because we started it last summer in 2019, we're doing it again this year. Uh, a couple months later in March, I got an email from UVU, Utah Valley University's marketing department, and I was like, yeah, they're probably just going to want me to do stuff for free because I'm a student. Like, I don't know. But I went to the meeting and, and it's actually like the whole board of the marketing department. I was like, hmm, that's a little more than I thought. But they were like, hey, we've seen your work and and we want you to design our 2020 marketing campaign. Like the whole thing, like the billboards, you know, all the social media, like these huge infographics, like stuff going on the side of a building, like gigantic hundred foot you know, images. And I was like, oh, well, that's cool. And and it was all because of people of Provo. And the funny thing about that as well is uh, after meeting with them, they were like, so, uh, like, you live close by, like, is it easy, easy for you to come stop by UVU? And I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'm actually a student here because I was a senior at the time and they didn't even know I was a student. Right. And I think that's also <laughs> a good lesson, which is that people don't care about your degree. They care about the work that you can do. Right. And so they didn't care about the fact that I was only 22 years old and hadn't graduated yet. Right. They just cared about the fact that I had created a body of work that was professional and that was something that they wanted for their own brand. And then I ended up making, you know, $20,000 off that one client or whatever, which was incredible, you know, and it was all just from doing that project, which was something that I cared about and wanted to do and was passionate about.
1: And there is, there's like a dozen things that I could dive in on in that because you gave us just like a mini (laughs) masterclass. No, it was so good because like I was going to say, it's a, it was like a mini masterclass on how to think about the business side of a creative work, a creative uh, life and business. So one thing I want to touch on, I think to echo what you've talked about is There's magic to be found when you can kind of overlap two things that you love. So you've got this mix of hand lettering and this love of Provo, and that made it unique because there's plenty of people who write about Provo, talk about Provo, take pictures of Provo, right? And that alone is cool, but it doesn't kind of have this exponential um, effect to it where all of a sudden, if you stack on one or two other things, so you've got your hand lettering plus Justin's photography, plus it's all centered around Provo. Plus you've got this aspect where obviously you're creating really great content for people and you're highlighting them and you're talking about them and they look great in the photo and the image is special, unique to them. All of a sudden you've got them sharing it to their audiences, right? So it kind of has this curve that can take place that, You know, I don't know what the follower numbers are at now. I'm guessing they're more than 800. Yeah, now it's
0: like 1100 or something like
1: that. that. And that's just going to continue to grow. But, you know, look at what's emerged from this idea. And it just really, to me, highlights that if you can, there's this concept of follow your passion, right? And some people take that to mean that, like, that's the path to success, But no, you coupled things you're passionate about with your craft, and then you were really disciplined about it. You release these, what, once every week or something like that. You're really disciplined with the release schedule, with the quality level. Like You went through and did, did it as if it were a client project. You did it at a professional level, and it wasn't just your passion, but it was your work ethic and your craft. All these things combined into something that, like you said, resulted in a a huge project, resulted in lots of new connections. And who knows what's going to come from that this year, next year, five years down the road, just because of an idea you had that you executed really well on. Yeah. So I love that.
0: Like along what you're saying too about combining ideas, I think that's one of the really important things about creating a brand and like a brand rather than just business, right? Because there's mm-hmm. tons of people out there doing freelance, but if you can create a brand, you know, where people kind of know what you care about, that can really help. And so for me, um, local business and Provo has been a huge part of my brand. And it's interesting because, you know, as, as you pick things and you, that you really care about and you try to, to make that part of your work, that kind of thing you're gonna be known for. For instance, like, not even just with people of Provo, but when Corona started, I spent, like, all of March lettering a name of a different local Provo business, like, every day once a week or whatever, you know, just because Provo is a big part of my brand, and so when things were hard, it was like, hey, this is a good time to, like, help get the word out about Provo, again, while still creating um, work that fits my own brand, and it's interesting because I get a lot of people from all over the country, not just in Provo, who will hire me to do work. And they say, oh my gosh, I know how much you love small business and l- small towns, you know, even though Provo's not that small. And so they hire me for that. Like even this, you know, this client in Mississippi that has the TV show, like there's literally called hometown and it's about how much they love their town of Laurel, Mississippi. And it's interesting because I think there were like hundreds of people that applied for that position to work freelance with them. Um, But I'm the one that got it. And it was because of two things. It was because of my portfolio, right? They knew I could make good work and that I had worked with clients. But it was also because they knew that I loved my hometown. And that's something that's really important to them. So if you can put your values, whatever they are, into your work, not only are you going to find clients that love quality work, but you're going to find clients that care about the same things as you, right? Like if you're constantly posting about how you want to, I don't know, like like save the dogs or whatever like I don't I don't know like if like if like you know sheltering homeless dogs is really important to you and you're constantly sharing content no matter what you do that somehow involves that good chances are if like a shelter for dogs is looking for a freelancer right they're going to hire you because not only are you making good work but you're uh, like applying to their sentiments and the things that they care about so no matter what it is you care about um if you pick like one or two things that are really important to you and try to make that part of your work, it really help you attract the type of clients that care about the same things that you do. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense at all.
1: <laughs> A ton of sense. And I, I'm hoping that people are going to go through this and, and like listen through it once, but then go back and take notes because there yeah, are notes. some amazing <laughs> little nuggets of wisdom in there. and. I, I personally have been impressed at kind of your business acumen with everything, because like you said, you're 22, is that right? Yeah, I'm
0: 23 now.
1: 23 now. So, I mean, that's <laughs> in, the, in the scheme of things, especially in freelancing world and creative, like, you, you're you pretty far ahead for your age, not to talk down to you at all. It's, it's only that oh, I'm no. 15 years older than you, so That's fine. But... Um, I'm, I've constantly been impressed as we've worked together this year that you kind of have a really great natural grasp on the business side of things. And it doesn't seem like a calculated effort. It doesn't seem like, oh, I read this business book and these are the tactics that I have to use to get more work. It seems so effortless because it's just kind of an extension of who you are as an artist to say, well, I'm going to design a whole bunch of signs for free just to, see what comes of it and to practice my craft and to build in public and show my work and look at all the things that come from that just because you're doing the thing that you love not asking for permission and you've built an incredible audience like i was saying earlier around the work that you're doing and you've got this they call it a flywheel this thing that just you know, it takes a while to get spinning, but once it does, it just has this momentum and it keeps going and going and going. So you create this work and you find people that love it and they become part of your audience and then you can sell them products or they can become a client and then they share your work. So your audience gets bigger and you keep doing more work and this flywheel just keeps accelerating. I've seen it over this year, just kind of pick up speed and it's really fun to watch. So I, where did that come from like the the understanding and the the desire to really understand the business side and not just because there's plenty of people i think out there who are drawing and putting out their work on instagram every day but you're using that in a way that generates more work for you so where did that come from
0: well i think it comes from a few things i think um i mean going way way back my grandpa on my mom's side, he was a freelance illustrator and designer. And my uncle on my dad's side was a freelance illustrator. So I think from a really young age, I was able to see that art is a business, right? I think a lot of people who want to get into art, it's tricky, right? Because first off, they're told that you can't make money. And then or they're told that like, It's just, it's a dream and you sit around and you paint and you go frolic in the flowers and you magically make money somehow, right? And I think I grew up never having either of those illusions, right? Because I grew up knowing, yeah, you totally can be an artist and make money doing it and support a family. Like that whole thing about the starving artist is totally a myth. But I also knew that it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Like it was a lot of work. Like I had seen both my grandpa and my uncle, like working really, really hard. So I don't think I had any illusions about like, that it was going to be really easy or that it was going to be impossible. I think I had that perfect um, thing in the middle. But I also think the thing that was important is the power of observation. So as a lettering artist and an artist in general, and this is something I talk about a lot in my class teaching the people, is that it's so important to pay attention, right? Because whether you're drawing an illustration or you're drawing letters, you have to Take from things that you have observed in the world around you. So, I always tell people, like, really pay attention. You know, like if you're walking down the street and you see a sign that looks really cool, don't just say, Oh, that sign looks cool and keep walking. Like, really stop and look at it and try to figure out, okay, why does this sign look cool? You know, why do I love looking at this? What is happening here that I really like? And then that is how you learn, right? That's how you learn about letters and drawing and all these different (laughs) things, I believe, is by really paying attention. And I think. I mean, I haven't really even thought about it before until you asked me, but I think a lot of the business sense that I got came the same way. I've always been really good at paying attention to like, okay, why do I want to buy this thing? Or why does this one particular brand appeal to me more than another? And instead of just saying like, oh, I love anthropology, right? I'm like, okay, I love anthropology because, right? And then I figure out like, okay, I like that everything anthropology is really handmade. I like that when you go to the store, they don't just have like stacks and stacks of a product on the shelf. They'll have like one of the product, right? It feels very original and new and one of a kind, even though they've got loads back in the storeroom, they only put out one, you know, or like other brands that I'm a big fan of like thinking, okay, why do I love, you know, 1924 U.S.? Well, I love that they tell stories. I love this. And so I think that a lot of business, at least for me, has been figuring out like, okay, why do I like the things that I do and how, how can I, put that in my own business. And it's not in a copycat way, but it's saying like, okay, what is working for all these other people? There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. And how can I put that in my own? But I also think another part of it is, is that I love, (laughs) I love games Mm. and I love competition. And I've always said that everything I say this to my husband all the time. I say, everything is either work or games. And for me, business is a little bit of both because I feel like it's it's a game you know trying to figure out like ooh, if I say this in a post or if I say this in a post which is gonna get people or like ooh, if I <laughs> you know subtly put like if I photograph my work on a table it's never gonna sell as good as if I photograph my work like sitting on a mantle because it's presenting it to people and saying hey here's this object but this is how you can use it in your own life and so i don't know i love business i think it's just kind of a game and like i always love things like looking at data and trying to figure that out like my whole life i've always done data mining stuff like you know gone through gone through and figured out like okay like what's the demographic of my clients like what kinds of people do i want what kinds of stuff do they like how can i do that so i don't know i think part of the reason i like it is because it's kind of a game
1: (laughs) (laughs) awesome
0: i'm super competitive and that's the thing too is is you can't be too worried about messing up i think with art and with business they're the same in a lot of ways because if you're always so worried about doing things perfect you're never gonna get anything done and so with business like i've messed up so much if you look over the last years like i you know i started out the same way every artist does i think ah i'm gonna make prints and cards and i'm gonna sell them And I worked my butt off trying to sell prints and cards. And guess what? You can't sell prints and cards. Some people do, I can't. I'm terrible at it, you know? (laughs) And so I had to be like, well, that didn't work and move on to the next thing. And again, like it was hard and it took a long time, but you can't get hung up on that stuff. You know, you can't just say like, well, I was terrible at selling hand letter cards. I'm just never going to be an artist. It's like, no, you just have to figure out what works for you and to learn from it. And now I know every once in a while, I'm like, oh, I'm going to make this product and I'm going to sell it. And I already know, like, I don't need to waste my time with that. I'm terrible at that. I'm going to stick to what I'm good at, you know, which is individual client projects. And that's where the money is. You know, you can sell 500 cards and, or you can just like do one client project. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and yeah.
0: It's, I don't know, easier and better and more fun.
1: There's definitely a lot more leverage there. I would uh, I'm going to ask people to go check out your Instagram because your the the projects that you put together through October for Inktober. There's mm-hmm. plenty of people. Again, plenty of people, probably hundreds or thousands of people that are doing Inktober every year and oddly enough that was created by Jake Parker who was in Provo. <laughs> so, He's Pro. So I... he's a bro guy so but you took your work and then printed it out and put it on bottles and did photo shoots of every single one that you were doing and it was just mm-hmm. like yeah i'm i'm i'd be sh- i would not be surprised to hear that someone's already contracted you to design a bottle label but
0: yeah i've lost if- soaps California.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's already happened. So just going that little extra mile, I mean, there's so much in this conversation that we've had already that is, I hope, really enlightening for people that are also artists, illustrators, graphic designers, freelancers to understand that just going like one step further will set you in the top 5% of what people are doing and you stand out.
0: I think, too, like, as far as social media goes, it's also so important to understand that people have terrible imaginations, right? (laughs) People have terrible imaginations. And if you're showing your work, like, again, just as a flat digital image that has no applicable use, people are going to look at that a lot of times because not everyone is creative. And they're going to look at that and go, oh, that is so cute. But they're never going to think, like, oh, that's so cute. I should hire you to put that on a T-shirt. Or, oh, that's so cute, that would work great, is a banner for my conference that's coming up, right? They don't do that. They just think, oh, that's cute. And so you have to, as a creative, especially as a commercial artist, you have to, like, lead your clients along and your audience along. And, like, again, people on Instagram, they're flipping through so fast, like, you have to make it super plain. Like, hey, I can design packaging, right? So with the Inktober stuff, I was like, well, I can just draw this Inktober stuff, right? But it's, it's not gonna be as impactful as if I show like, hey, this is the practical use for this, right? And and to create that whole thing. And I, and I think that's so important with everything, right? Even like with murals, it's so funny. I I wanted to start painting murals a few years ago and I painted loads and loads of signs. And so I was like, I can paint a mural. It's just like a big sign, right? But I'd <laughs> never been hired to do one. And so what I did is I, I actually made a social media post where I said, win a wall. And I said, Hey, I want to paint a mural. um, So I'm going to give away one free mural to a business of my choice. And so I said, if you want to apply, you can go apply. And I made people apply. But because of that, I had like 20 options, right, of really cool businesses. And I was able to be super picky. You should never ever do work for free, unless it's on your terms. I'm a big believer in that, especially for other people. Right, doing passion projects on your own, that's fine, but like never ever do work for people unless you are 100% in charge. I'm a big believer in that. But uh, anyway, with this, I was able to pick exactly the client that I thought would be the best fit and who would let me kind of do a style that I was really proud of, and it was Waffle Love. And so I ended up going and painting this mural at Waffle Love, it only took me like five hours. Again, I chose something that was gonna be pretty simple, but still impactful. Took tons and tons of pictures, posted them online, and then what do you know? I started getting a ton of mural projects, right? And it's it's funny because I could have <laughs> always painted a mural, right? I, I was painting signs, but because people didn't see a mural, they didn't think I could paint a mural, right? And so I always tell people that, like people that are like, oh man, I'd really you know, love to get a packaging job, but I've never ever got a packaging job. It's like, well, design some packaging. People have a terrible imagination. If you don't show them exactly what you can do, um, and put it into context it can be really really hard for your audience to know exactly how your work should be used and so it's always really important to say hey this is what i can do but this is how it can make you money and brighten your space and help your company as well
1: oh my gosh just uh, again <laughs> a masterclass. i i want people to when they get to this point stop go back Get your notebook out and take notes because in in the things that in the answers that Haley's been giving today that you've been giving, there's just so much in there for artists, creatives, freelancers to, to improve their businesses. So with that in mind, and with, I didn't realize you had a love for data. So I'm really excited to hop into this part of the conversation. I
0: do. I do like data.
1: This is exciting for me. I do too. I'm (laughs)
0: um
1: so Haley, what's something in your business that we can try to get you a breakthrough on? What's something you've been working on or struggling with something we can, uh, kind of tackle together for a little bit.
0: Oh man. So th- the biggest thing I can think of right off the bat is, um, closing clients. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. I get tons and tons of people, you know, all the time emailing me about potential projects and, you know, I think it's tricky because you shouldn't be taking all of your clients, right? If you take every single job that comes to you, first off, you're going to be really unhappy because you're going to probably hate a lot of those projects, but also you're going to be overwhelmed. Like, It's better to have less projects that are better than all the projects. So that being said, like, it's not necessarily the problem of like, oh, I'm saying no to, you know, 50% of the jobs that come in or it's not working out like that's fine but the problem i'm having is sometimes there will be a client that will come through or i'm like oh dang like this is this is a cool project like just last week i got i got um an email from like the creative director (laughs) at utah jazz talking about a project i was like (laughs) oh the utah jazz like dang you know and then i sent him the email and just like didn't hear back you know and then i'm like i even just sent him a follow-up email this morning so again who knows maybe it'll all work out but, but that's something I've had a problem with is sometimes I think, well, I know what the problem is. I'm I'm not someone that does things slow. I'm very fast all the mm-hmm. time. And, and that's a good thing because again, I'm not always worried about everything being perfect, but it's also a bad thing because I know that lots of times like with things like first initial contact with a client, I do a bad job of selling myself sometimes, you know, like I'll just be like, oh yeah, great. That's a project. Here's how much it'll cost. Let's go. You know, where in my brain, I'm like, okay, I know I should like try to get them more hyped up, right, or something before. I don't know. So that's something I have a problem with um, that I've been thinking about a lot lately is like, how do I close those really good clients and make sure that they don't either forget or go find something else? I don't mm-hmm. know. Does that make sense?
1: <laughs> that totally makes sense. Yeah. Um... It, it means that we don't get to dive into the benchmark app, but that's okay because we're here for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I am going to send you a free copy of it with like- with a little bit of training so that you can uh, use it. But there's definitely some things we can talk about when it comes to – you're just basically talking about sales, right? Yeah. So it sounds like you, your problem is not –
0: sales specifically. Closing
1: the sales specifically, yeah. It's not that you don't have the right amount of what they call deal flow, which is number like the quality and the quantity of clients coming to you or potential clients. That's not the issue. So what we need to talk about is figuring out how to approach these interactions with these potential clients in a way that gets them excited and in a way that you can close more of them. Now, close is the sales term, right? Um, so it just means that getting them to say yes. Yeah. And so there's definitely some things we can talk about and there's some questions that I can ask. I'm going to think through a little bit. So when you have these conversations, are they basically all over email or are you ever getting the point where you're having a phone call or meeting in person? What does it normally look like?
0: Yeah. Most of the time it'll start out as an email. Sometimes clients will say like, you know, oh, would love to jump on a call and talk to you about this project that we have in mind. And that's always really tricky because a lot of times when they say that, you don't know who they are. And sometimes you end up sitting in a meeting forever and like you can't get them to get to the point. And then they tell you they have a hundred dollar budget and you're like, okay, well, bye. <laughs> like, that's not going to work, you know, but other times it's really, really good. And then they tell you, and then you actually can talk in a person because I know for me, I'm way I don't know, I I think of myself as a people person. I would like to talk to people in person much more than email, Um, but most of the time it is all email, at least in the beginning.
1: Gotcha. Now, if you can think back to one of the examples where it was a big client, like the the type that you're trying to close more of, Walk me through a little bit about how that process went. How many steps were there from contact to all the way to closing? Because what we want to do a little bit is look at some signals that we can kind of pull from in the, from the past and make sure that we're incorporating those into future conversations.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. There were a couple of really big clients earlier this year that fell through, but it was actually Corona's fault. So mm-hmm. those aren't really exactly. That- the same. Um but like for instance this one with the people from the jazz, you know. Uh, so what happened there is I got an email from them saying, hey, we reached out to Kylie Dunkley, who she's a, a friend of mine in Salt Lake. And they said we asked her, you know, if if she had the availability or the ability to do the type of project that we wanted. And knowing Kylie, the type of project they wanted wasn't really her type of thing. And mm-hmm. so they said, she recommended um, us to you. And they were actually really good because usually clients will just email and say, like, hi, how you know, we want a project. How much do you cost? And it's like, well, that's not helpful. Like, I don't know what kind of project you want or anything. <laughs> um, but in this case, they actually said, like, they were like, hey, we want, you know a 30-40-inch portrait of Gail Miller, but we want, like, 4,000 names making up the portrait, and blah, 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 blah. And so they actually sent a lot of info, and they sent their budget, which was great, you know? And so, oh, there's a garbage man outside. Hopefully we can't hear that. <laughs> um And so I emailed them back, and I basically said, like, hi! You know, thank you so much for reaching out to me. I'm glad that you did. This sounds like a really great project. I do have the availability, um, and you know, based on your, your quoted price and the timeline, we should be able to get that done. And then I said, you know, if you have questions, let me know and we can jump on a call or if it all sounds good, I'll send you over a contract. And that's basically what I said in the email, like Mm -hmm. nothing else.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So the one thing I would immediately jump on from that is anytime that your potential clients are reaching out for a quick, transaction, when it comes to creative work, we want to slow them down a little bit. Because that, to me, in my history has shown that they're, they're shopping, right? They're basically looking for who's got the right price, who's got the right timeline, who's got the right availability, and they want a quick, let's go. And the times in my because I've had the same kind of situations where I've tried to land big clients and sometimes I haven't, sometimes I have it. And as I look back and kind of analyze the times where people were just reaching out and going, Hey, how much would it cost to do a video like this? The times where I responded and said, Oh, that's a 10 K thing. Then they go, okay, thanks. And then they move on because they mm-hmm. would like to find someone so that, do that for $2,000. Right. Yeah. Um, and that I'm actually okay with those. Saying no and or walking away because they're not the kind of people that I want to work with. Yeah, not exactly. In caliber thing, some, of clients,
0: like again, you don't really want to take everyone that comes because right. a lot of times it's not a good fit.
1: Right, and even if it's a big project, if it's a twenty or forty thousand dollar project, if they're treating you like a vendor instead of a partner, that mm-hmm. might not be a thing that you're going to enjoy. It might be great for the money, but. it's a very clear delineation between someone who treats you like a partner in a project and someone that treats you like a vendor. And if you're a vendor, it means you're replaceable. It means that you're not going to be building a long-term relationship. It means that the next time that they have a project that's similar, they're going to go back out to the marketplace and see who else is out there that's also cheaper. So what we want to do when people come to us with an opportunity to work with them is we want to immediately start building a relationship and we kind of test the water a little bit. So instead of, yes, I can do it. The budget looks good. And, you know, let me know next steps, taking a little bit of control, not away from them, but just saying that, yes, I'm a professional and this is how I do business and responding with, this sounds amazing. I would love to learn more and I would love to hop on a call or meet in person. Meet in person's kind of hard right now for a lot of people, but hopping on a Zoom call or hopping on a phone call slows the process down a little bit and shows the person on the other end that you actually care because you're not treating it like a transaction. You're not acting like a vendor where you're just quoting them a price and saying, yes, no, we're available on Thursday. You're immediately stepping up as a creative person, a creative partner for them. And if they're looking for that, then that's going to be a great way to start the relationship, to show them, to signal to them through that initial email that I'm not in this for the transaction. I'm in this for really great, high-quality work that I can use to get more people down the line, that I can improve your brand, that I could take some of the weight off of you, whatever it might be. Being able to show that you are in control a little bit of the time and the pacing. And the big thing is getting out of vendor space and into partner space. I think that's the best way to kind of qualify that. So that would be my first step. Now, once you get a little bit further down the line, right? So we've weeded out the people that are just looking for a vendor who's the cheapest and the fastest. Um, who aren't I really the people that we want to be working for, you get to the actual conversation. Now, how many of the sales conversations that you're having are ending up in a no? Once you get to that point where you're having a conversation, talking about the project, and they say, uh, you know, we're actually not interested. Does that happen, or is it?
0: Yeah, pretty no. Almost every client that I talk to, um, it's usually a yes, like when we actually talk to them.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that might be the big constraint or the big obstacle that we need to kind of focus your effort on. And it's just taking a little bit of extra time with that first response yeah, and reminding yourself that I'm an amazing, talented artist. And when you get me, you get a partner. You get someone who's in it for the long run. I'm gonna bring my awareness from my audience to your project, which is gonna help your brand and expand it, because you have value there. You're nearly like 15,000 followers on Instagram and growing or something like that range. So, I mean, the bigger that you get, the more leverage that you're bringing into it and you're saying, look, I charge more because I have an audience and I'm gonna do stories about your project and I'm gonna bring awareness to it. Like all of a sudden, you know once you're bringing all of that into it you're showing that not only are you a great partner but you've got some leverage so that's why you charge twice as much as another person if it ever gets to that part of the conversation but it sounds like the best clients the best partners that you work with already value you already understand who you are and what you do because they've been following along your journey and seeing your other work and that's what they're after so they want Haley as a partner, not Haley as a vendor.
0: Ah, that is so cool. Thank you, Darren. <laughs> like, again, I'm sure you have more too, but like, that is really smart. Like I haven't really thought about that of, of kind of the whole idea of positioning yourself as mm-hmm. someone that's irreplaceable and as more of a, like an asset. Cause cause like I do that usually later on, you know, I guess I kind of just, I don't really just say that clearly, like, hey, like, I'm going to be a partner in this. I'm going to be able to add all this value to your brand, blah, blah, blah. Like, I usually just skip all that. Like, I always assume that if they're emailing me, they kind of know that it's going to be worth it hiring a freelancer. But I like that, that whole idea of just, like, making it really clear. Like, hey, like, working with me, it's not just that you're going to get a product, but you're going to get, you know, all this experience and all this insight that you maybe wouldn't get otherwise and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. There's a great book I want to throw out as a recommendation because the author is very cool and she deserves a shout out. So this book is called Obviously Awesome and it's by April Dunford. It's the best book I've read on positioning. And it's written in a way that's really great for creatives like us because a lot of times we don't really think about positioning, but that's really what you're doing is you're saying, this is who I am. This is my brand. This is how I work. This is what you're getting. And I I think it's going to serve you twofold. It's going to be these conversations or these initial response emails are going to quickly weed out the people that are not the right partners and really land and solidify who you are and the beginning of a relationship with the right partners. So I'm excited to see how that pans out for you. Um, I'm going to take this opportunity to just quickly show you one part of this application, this benchmark app that... We've been building because as you're talking about deal flow and working with um, potential partners, um, there's a whole sales tab in here. So, the point of this app is to help you identify the constraints in your business. So, if you're the hard part is sales, you can go to the sales tab and you can start tracking a little bit of data, and that data will give you actual concrete feedback that you can use to see what's working and what's not. That's the whole point. And creatives don't really do this process. So that's why we built it in a way to make it really simple for creatives and freelancers and designers and illustrators and artists, because we don't like spreadsheets. We don't like data and analytics. These are all numbers or words that scare us, right? Except for people like you and me who love data. (laughs) So... This is what this essentially is. This tab is a very simplified. I'm going to zoom in a little bit for you um, if I can. So there we go. So I want to make sure you can see the, the parts that we're looking at. So essentially what you could do to kind of track this, say we're in November. Right. So you would come in and say, "Okay, this week I had 10 people email me about a project. And out of those 10, I responded and, you know, only eight of them actually responded. So two of them were just like, maybe they got too busy or maybe they found another vendor or whatever happened. And from those eight, we had, from the people that I followed up with, I was able to have six conversations, which resulted in, let's call it five new customers because maybe you're not 100% at um, close rate, but that's okay. So out of those five, you got five orders. So what we did, and that took 30 seconds, was put in five numbers. And once you start putting in some of the financial data, um, some of the numbers for like how much money you made this month and how much money you made, Mm -hmm. how much you spent, stuff like that, then your total sales will automatically populate. And what you can do from here is start looking at where is kind of the breakdown. If any of these percentages are really low then that's where we can kind of focus our effort. So what it does is maybe, okay, maybe the 10 leads is gonna stay the same, but we're gonna make sure that we really follow up and get all 10 contacted. Because that means now we have eight conversations and seven new customers, right? Yeah. just focusing on that one little bit of making sure that every single person is contacted just gave you two new clients which could represent 2,000, 10,000, 20,000, who knows, right? Now, these are all fake numbers because we're not looking at your actual data, but this is just a very brief way of showing um, a contractor, a freelancer that every single person that becomes a client of yours goes through a sales journey. And so Mm -hmm. they have to first know that you exist. (laughs) So that comes down to like marketing and advertising and getting some awareness for yourself. But all of the work that you're doing in marketing should funnel people into working with you and generating leads and generating people, potential partners that you could work with or clients that you could work with. So if you're only getting one lead a week, then maybe we need to focus on our marketing and getting that lead number up. But if you've got you know, five, 10, 20, whatever it is, if you have enough leads that could ultimately result in enough work, then you're good. Then it's just kind of optimizing this journey for them. So if, for example, if you got 10 leads, but you only followed up with two of them and only had one conversation and zero sales, well, it's very clear in that situation because we put in the real data that this 20 percent contacted is not that's not good we're letting eight really good leads a week drop through the cracks um, because we're either not capturing them we're not getting their email we don't have an easy way on our website to con for people to contact us or we can really identify the part of the journey that's the constraint the part that isn't working the part that isn't optimized so what I would recommend to someone like yourself, who's trying to go, well, how do I get more of the sale, more of the leads that are coming to my business? How do I get more of them to turn into sales? Well, track the data and see what's really going on. And then just focus on one part. So if your percent that's being contacted is really low focus there. And if that's high, like yours, it sounds like yours is, but you're only having you know one conversation out of eight follow-ups, well, then we need to figure out what's going on there that's not getting them from a lead to a, a, a conversation. And if you're having a ton of conversations, but no new customers, it's really easy to identify the constraint is right there between that sales conversation and becoming a new customer. We got to work on the sales conversation. We got to talk to them about what's you know, we got to work on, uh, like we did with you today, The what's, what's the positioning? What's the framing? How's the conversation going? How's the clothes going? Huh. Like all that stuff. So the idea is you can use this app, whether it's finances or sales or your marketing efforts, to really understand what's going on in your business and to improve it. So... I took a little bit of our time for that. So I appreciate you kind of hearing me out. No, that's um,
0: perfect. And that is, that's such a good tool, you know, for kind of recognizing, okay, where are things dropping off or like where are things not happening?
1: Yeah. And we, again, historically, we as creatives don't really do that kind of work. We don't analyze our business. We don't put in data into spreadsheets and stuff. And so my goal with the whole business is to really um, empower creatives and artists who are doing incredible work like yourself to make sure that their businesses are functioning in a way that can sustain them for the long term. I don't want them to just survive 2020, but as long as they want, like if they want to be doing creative work for the rest of their lives, then let's help them create a business to be able to do so. So Haley, we're almost at our hour mark. Um, Thank you for being here and for letting us have this conversation. I'd love to, um, first of all, I'd love to know, like, what's kind of the big takeaway for you today?
0: Um, I think honestly, the biggest takeaway for me is that whole idea of positioning, you know, because I think just like I said before, you kind of assume like, oh, people are coming to me, right? They're already sold, but it's like, no, that's not true. And uh, just kind of yeah, creating that feeling of extra value, added value in the way that you present yourself and your services. I think that is super cool and a good thing to think about. I think that's going to help. I will let you know how it goes, Darren.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm going to be following up with you too, because I'm genuinely interested in how it goes. Um, So let's, um, you know, let's tell people how they can get in contact with you, how they can find you, where, where would you like to point people to learn more and to follow you online?
0: Yeah, so my business is type affiliated. So you can find me on Instagram at type affiliated. My website is typeaffiliated.com. If you want to shoot me an email, or you have any questions about anything we've talked about today, just type affiliated at gmail.com. I'd love to talk to you guys and get to know you more.
1: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, I encourage everyone to go do so because Haley's like one of the I know I follow a lot of people on Instagram. But luckily, you're the one that pops up a lot thanks to their algorithm. So It's just one of the bright spots of Instagram (laughs) that I get to look at your art every day. So thanks for the work that you're doing. Thanks for being here on the podcast. And for those that are watching, if you would like to learn more about the Benchmark app, you can go to bnchmrk.app. That's the cheap version of the domain name. (laughs) That's benchmark with no vowels.app and you can get some free training that will help you build the foundation for a six-figure creative business. There's some free training on there, as well as you can purchase the app and get a whole bunch of training that comes along with that on how to use it to grow and fix your business. So Haley, thanks again. Go check her out online and uh, really appreciate you being here today. Thanks. Thank you, it was great being here. Thank you again for listening to or watching today's episode. Once again, we remind you to go check out the free training we have for you at benchmark.app and learn more about this tool we've built to help people like you get control over the results of your business.